0: Good morning. Thursday morning already. Rochester today. T.O. is here. Tom Ostrom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. I guess, uh, well, let's just dive into it. What's in the mailbag?
1: Okay. Branko, the satirical uh, political cartoonist. uh, (laughs) uh, The Republican elephant, elephant is looking at the Democrat donkey in the elephant looks at uh, the viewer and says now watch this what i can do to the donkey and the elephant says mathematics and the donkey white supremacy black on black crime white supremacy five black cops beat and kill a black man white supremacy pepperoni pizza white supremacy (laughs) that's their mantra and then from Gary Varvel, political cartoonist, it shows the leading uh, Democrat characters, uh, Budigieg, uh let them buy electric cars, the Incredibles, this group is called. And then Kamala, it's time for us to do what we have been doing all the time, and that is what we have to do. <laughs> 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 then it shows Joe with his sunglasses. I take classified documents very seriously. Kind of thing. And then his son, Hunter, with a, uh, a narcotic pipe in his mouth and says, 10% goes to the big guy. <laughs> and then the uh, Joe, the, 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 the White House press secretary, we've been transparent. We've been transparent. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and then. Joe uh, sends this, uh, Andrew, uh, he's good with numbers and he says, hmm, I think the employment index is comparing the number employed to the number actively seeking employment. I wonder what the number would be by factoring in the number of unfilled jobs and the number of qualified employees who are not actively seeking employment. So uh, an interesting formulation to maybe get a better picture of.
0: It's It's, the, and it's, it's not contested. The unemployment rate is, it is what it is. It's, it's not as if we actually have 1.8% unemployment in Olmstead County, which it says, uh, it's just, it's just a measurement. It's a, benchmark, let's put it that way, that you can gauge what's happening with the economy based upon that number to a degree, but it it isn't a true picture of how many people do not have jobs. I've had lengthy conversations with statisticians about this. Mm-hmm. And it well, I mean the the point that Joe raised is a great one. That might be a better way to measure it, but how do you get that number? How how do you know who and who is not actively seeking employment or who, you know what I'm saying? You could have a person on the sideline for an injury, retirement, they won the lottery, it doesn't matter what it is, that they're not seeking employment anymore, but they're not actively engaged in a, any government process. So it's it's really difficult to, un, to know what that number is. It's a, it's a guess is basically what it is. Uh, but you can figure out this number because you have people filing for unemployment benefits you actually have a number to work with so it's only useful to a point
1: Mm -hmm. sure from wayne tom i have nothing positive to say about biden's state of the union address his message was filled with lies half-truths He said Republicans want to take away Social Security and Medicare. Not true. Then he gets angry and he yells and makes crazy faces and then whispers. And he even said he stood up strongly to China. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas, her rebuttal message was strong, positive, anti-woke and forward-looking common sense and to the point. Uh, and I agree with all that. And I will cover more about Sarah Huckabee Sanders' uh, uh, presentation uh, under National News. Okay. Bag. All
0: right. Well, we'll take our break. Come back in a moment. More with Tom Ostrom
1: um, right here on Rochester Today, News Talk. Oh, uh, Andrew, Andrew, before you go, <laughs> uh, my one of my veteran friends <laughs> we have lunch with, they all listen to the show and they enjoy it. But they're all full of the Dickens and, and one of them, Dave said, yeah, I enjoy listening to the show, but I think Andy interrupts you a lot with we got to take a break. or We got to go produce. Gotta do that because he gets tired of listening to you. <laughs> I,
0: I am exercising my executive authority.
1: <laughs>
0: By the way, we'll have more on that after the break. Uh, OK, <laughs> Tom Holstrom, I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back. Rochester Today. Tom Holstrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell. And Tom, the statewide news. The Minnesota Supreme Court issued a ruling yesterday about something we had all forgotten about. Remember the lawsuits that challenged the governor's authority to even declare a peacetime emergency over the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Well, the Supreme Court finally issued the ruling. So the history of the case would be that a group opposed to the face mask mandate issued by the governor during the pandemic filed this lawsuit. It went to a district court judge who ruled, sorry, the governor does have this authority. He can make you do this under the Minnesota Emergency Management Act. Well, it went to the Court of Appeals, but by the time the appeals court had heard it, the governor had already signed the law that ended the peacetime emergency for the pandemic, which got rid of the face mask mandate and all the other mandates that went with it. So the Court of Appeals never really heard the case. Mm. They declared it moot because all this was already over. So. Mm-hmm. Without ever answering whether the governor had the authority to declare a peacetime emergency. Well, mm-hmm. lo and behold, on Wednesday, the Minnesota Supreme Court said, Yeah, we agree that some of the issues raised are moot because they're no longer in effect, but this issue of whether Governor Tim Walls had the authority. To use the pandemic as the reason for the, peace, the extended peacetime emergency, we better qualify that as well, is of significant statewide importance and needs to be decided immediately. Mm. So the, res- the court resurrected the lawsuit now now goes back to the state court of appeals, mm. which will have to hear the arguments over whether or not Walls was operating within his authority to declare an emergency in the first place. And then then once that ruling is issued, then it will go to the Supreme Court, which will have the ultimate say over this. So uh, many had thought that that issue was just dead. It's not dead at all. It's front and center.
1: And you have written the report on that. It is on the website. Well, I, I, I didn't understand the logic either because someone something is moot. And in the past that it can't be decided upon or analyzed by a court. I didn't understand that logic at all, uh, anyway, but you've traced it well, and uh, anxious to to follow that up all the way to the Supreme Court. Hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, and some of the appeals
0: court rationale was, in my view, clearly flawed, and I think the Supreme Court spotted it right away because they tried to argue that they shouldn't step into this because this is an issue a dispute between the legislative branch and the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court said no, 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 no. The governor issued orders, a lot of executive orders, that restricted the freedoms of all Minnesotans during the pandemic. So this is uh, this is a dispute between Minnesota citizens and the governor over whether or not he has the authority to curb the exercise of movement, uh, religious practices. I mean, it, it, the Supreme Court listed all these reasons why this is such an important case to have decided business operations well but it could go for those it could go the governor's way they could if you read the minnesota emergency management act it clearly says that an act of nature is among the reasons that this could be used Mm -hmm. so they might rule with the governor and say yeah you,
1: you did have authority to do this good but powers are limited I wish some courts would look at uh, Biden's executive orders, but very interesting, Andy. Andy, we'll have to follow that. I will. Um, 86 U.S. House Democrats voted against a resolution. Republicans wanted to condemn the horrors and history of socialism, uh, meaning communism, and the Democrats in the House voted against the resolution and among those that don't want that resolution to prevail are Minnesota Representatives Ilhan Omar and Betty McCollum. They're often accused of having socialist ideas, so we'll see where that goes. That's about roughly
0: half of the Democrats in the U.S. House.
1: And and you know who's opposing the Democrats? Um, Representative Maria Elvira Salazar, Republican Congresswoman from Florida, and she's serious about it because she's the daughter of Cuban exiles in Miami-Dade County <laughs> and knows what socialism's all about in Cuba. And then, but that's that's interesting that the Democrats want to protect uh, the concept of socialism, uh, <laughs> not have it studied. They want it studied in history, but not that. But
0: not all of them. I mean, that's clearly not all the Democrats in the oh, U.S. House. Oh.
1: Well, but some abstained, or they okay. just had present because they know the volatility of that in the left wing of their party.
0: Uh well, see the so, it, so and but you got to admit, but part of this was the Republicans. It's kind of a, it's kind of a trap issue for them. Then knowing that that if the Republicans get to put them on the hot seat for either voting against it or abstaining. But if they did vote for it, these lawmakers would catch heat from within
1: their own party. Well, that's right. That's right. And, uh, Andrew Brownell wrote this on the KROC news website. So we're going to take a look at it. Uh, Okay. (laughs) The court upholds the Waltz plan for more electric vehicles in Minnesota uh, you you wrote on the on the website a ruling issued uh, in in uh, at the end of January by the Minnesota Court of Appeals grants Walt's administration a major victory in its efforts to impose uh, higher and tighter uh, emission standards on vehicles in Minnesota. The ruling affirms the validity of rules adopted by the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency that require. Auto manufacturers to deliver to the state only vehicles that meet certain air pollutant emission standards. And uh, so the new emission standards are based on rules that previously adopted uh, were adopted by California. But Republicans are saying that transfer of legislative uh, ledger domain is questionable in itself. And the Minnesota Automobile Dealers Association argued the clean car rule. Implemented by Waltz, violates the Minnesota Constitution by, quote, improperly delegating uh, the rulemaking authority f- from California or improperly delegating legislative authority without adequate explanation and guidance. And so, uh, the, but the interpretations of the California law and now the Minnesota law uh, are still going to be contested. Uh, but the judges said uh, the MPCA does have the authority to enact, enact emission standards, and Minnesota can adopt those California rules. But uh, So the Automobile Dealers Association is expected to ask the Minnesota Supreme Court to review the appellate decision.
0: Now, the other aspect to this case that didn't get mentioned in that ruling was the EPA gave California special authority to put these emission controls in place because of California's smog problem and because of the high pollutant levels in L.A. and some other areas and the weather conditions that caused those smog issues. Um, and according to the federal law, the way I understand it, In order for another state to adopt the California standards, they have to have emission levels or pollutant levels up to a certain point in their metro areas that would even qualify them to have these special emission rules that California uses. And the Dealers Association argues that Minnesota cities do not have those levels of pollution. So thereby we shouldn't have these California emission standards. And I did not see that the appeals court dealt with that part of the argument.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So wait and see again, because that'll <laughs> be
0: one for the Supreme court once again.
1: Yeah. They've got some touchy issues uh, and some divided judicial opinions on things. It looks like, so it'll be fun to follow that. Uh, Andrew, uh, our uh, school superintendent, Kent, uh, his last name, P-E-K-E-L. How do you pronounce that so I get it right? Pekel. Pekel. Oh, good. Sounds French then. Pekel. Okay. I was going to say Pekel. that That <laughs> is that name. But anyway, this from the KRC News website, and you've been talking about this before, and you wrote this uh, article, so I want to hear more. It was published on, on February 7th on the website. Uh, the Rochester school board uh, has voted on the proposed budget framework that will reduce spending by $14 million. And uh, the framework is proposed by the superintendent to structure uh, or to, to to address structural imbalances and, and operations. And uh, so it might affect the workforce uh, of uh, faculty and maintenance and, uh, other uh, uh, corollary uh, employees and uh, the superintendent said it might result in, in significant job cuts uh, FTEs that's full-time equivalents and uh, we have to assess the cuts he said it won't be known till spring we might leave positions open we're uh, uh, not hire people following retirements and resignations and maybe the state legislature will will contribute to the to the issue, uh, but uh, we have to be prepared.
0: Yeah, I I had him on a week or so ago, the superintendent, and he was um, very clear that the central issue here is that over a period of time, the school district was hiring additional teachers and other staff based upon enrollment projections showing all this growth was going to occur. Well, the growth never occurred, pandemic, and perhaps other issues. So you have essentially staff, you're staffed for more students than you actually have. And that's unsustainable in the future. Mm -hmm. So he wants, and I believe the school board is supportive of him on this, to bring that number more in line. So marching forward, the ratio... Is a more realistic ratio. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's a $14 million hit. And if I was a relatively young teacher or new to the trade, I'd be worried because mm-hmm. they're talking about nearly 80 positions for sure. the teachers. But how many how many retirements will there be how many people will move to a different city how many people will just opt to get out of the profession altogether that number is not known so that would that will make a difference
1: and it includes uh, very important non-faculty people office personnel maintenance, yes. and really everything else but um i've always been impressed with mr Piquel. i think he's uh, in the interim when he had that position and now and and when i hear him speak uh, and He's quoted in the paper. He's very articulate, and I think he brings uh, a diverse administrative background to education. That he has been outside the field of education in administrative positions, and now this, I think, he brings a lot to the table. I I, I have to agree
0: with your assessment. Um, I'm one thing I'm most impressed with him, is I can ask a question out of left field, and somehow. He has it in his brain. I mean, he <laughs> doesn't need to look it up. He'll actually cite mm-hmm. statistics. And, uh, it's it's a little bit scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the man's intellect is pretty large. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how he navigates this because this will become very political. Because anytime you cut teacher positions, it has an impact on class sizes. And uh, there'll be some grumbling, indeed, over the next few months as this thing moves forward. But Mm -hmm. they're also, I think, trying to get themselves as a school district in a position where they're going to ask voters to continue the current tax levy that we have or perhaps even add to it. And I think these moves, and this is my view, it's not the superintendent's views, but my analysis of it. Would that put those proposals in a very defensible position? Let's put it that way. Look, we've had taken these steps to be fiscally responsible, and this is where we're at. Now we're coming back to you as a community for more money for the schools, which could happen. It could happen this fall. It could happen next year. That is still yet to be decided. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to cut you off and take another break.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, okay, <here's> that.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of listening to what you have to say. We'll take a break. All right. Well, we'll do that and we'll let Tom talk again after the news. How's that? <laughs> Rochester Today will continue on News Talk 1340, KROC AM, and 96.9 FM. Good morning. Rochester Today continues with none other than Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell. Tom. State of the union last night. You just stay up and watch
1: it. hmm. Yes. Uh, okay. And the Republican respondent. Uh,
0: I, I did not. I read enough coverage of it and listened to enough opinions of it. And I have a pretty good grasp on the highlights of it. I uh, I did watch snippets of it, obviously, but not the whole speech, the I will say the one that got me upset, I was upset at both Republicans and Democrats in this part, and the president especially, because I I am tired of, I'll call it the Social Security card. That you know, the boogeyman is going to take away your Social Security. And uh, this president got up there and said, there are some Republicans who want to take away your Social Security and Medicare. And, of course, that caused a big ruckus in the House chambers as Republicans protested to that viewpoint. And eventually it sounded as, a, you, know, it, it, you know, it was obviously, to me, it was like a staged thing that the president knew he'd get that response. And then he'd go, oh, okay, we all agree. We're not going to touch Social Security. Oh, all things are well. Well, they're not well. Social Security is in big trouble. Medicare is in even bigger trouble. And this Congress's inability to address the problem is we're headed towards a train wreck. And the president, oh, you know, put your blinders on. Everything's going to be okay. Well, things are not okay. Medicare will be insolvent in, what, 12 years or less? Uh, Social Security somewhat after that. And, oh, we're not going to cut your Social Security. Well, once the trust fund is drained, effectively it becomes a pay-as-you-go system, and there will be cuts. Mm Mm-hmm they could be very steep cuts, 15, 20% cut, maybe even more in order to balance the program. Uh, but then again, what we all know what will happen is uh, rather than try to fix the problem and make the program solvent for future generations, they're just going to borrow some more money. They'll print some more money to keep it afloat, exasperating the problems we already have with Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I I, I just love a politician to be brave enough to stand up and say, no, we can't ignore this. We have to wake up and do something about this now.
1: Right, right. And Joe Biden uh, resurrected the fences around the Capitol, high fences, thinking there's going to be a security lapse. He won't put a fence on uh, around the southern border to protect Americans, but... uh, but he's got a fence to protect himself uh, during the speech. But uh, people say he fabricated uh, he's saying more spending, more spending, which is one of the problems we have, as you just mentioned. And uh, uh, the, the Republicans control finances in the house, so they're not going to grant him uh, his, his program. And, but the respondent to him was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The Huckabee comes from her father, who used to be uh, the governor, and he has a program uh, uh, on television. He's very articulate, and so is she. She was President Trump's press secretary, and she had no trouble handling liberal reporters. She was better prepared than they were, and so she hated him. Or they hated her. And then uh, she mentioned, I'm 40 years old. Biden's in his 80s. He's too old. Uh, he doesn't defend the nation. Uh He's not truthful in how he's laid out the problems and the causes, including his contribution to problems like fentanyl, he mentioned, but his open borders are what caused it. And Republicans kind of hollered back to let Joe know that they were not uh, following his omission of the open borders when he was concerned about fentanyl. And then Representative Green from Georgia, who I like, you don't, she was sitting in the back holding up a a white balloon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the china balloon <laughs> and then some republicans call joe a liar but that's not as bad as nancy pelosi standing behind trump and ripping up his uh, state of the union address uh, but he said uh, sarah said we're dealing with the democrats who hate america they can't even define what a woman is and they want to run the country and they're driving us into the ground and some people think Trump's former press secretary, now now the governor of Arkansas, might run on Trump's ticket if Trump runs again. I I don't know about that, but she's a Trump loyalist yet. And but but her presentation was well organized and and I thought devastating.
0: The the audio snippet that I've heard a lot of today was and I can't get all of it, but it, it essentially said that. What the actions of this administration and the Democrats are, uh, are crazy. And, <laughs> and America is not going along with it. The, the crazy, they're done yeah. with the craziness. And I thought that was, that one resonated fairly well. But the, um, the decorum of the speech has changed dramatically over the last few decades. And I wonder how long it'll be before, um, it'll be like the House of Commons in Britain with the prime minister going before it and just the yelling and shouting and hollering Mm -hmm. back and
1: forth, it'll maybe that's where it should be. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I have to say this and our conservative listeners are probably get mad, but I was surprised how well he delivered it. I was astonished because he can't ad lib a burp hardly when he's in front of reporters uh, and he can't read a teleprompter. But he delivered that rather consistently and impressively, I thought. Some people said he slurred and he made some mistakes and he mispronounced things. But I was expecting a disaster at the podium and I didn't see one Uh, in presentation. I did in logic (laughs) and I did in his assertions and his claims. but, But I was surprised for an hour and 20 minutes that he delivered that as well as he did. The big question is, did he move
0: the needle at all? And I would argue he did not. Uh, and many of the pundits of the mainstream media that I heard that uh, I would actually take into account their opinions seem to agree with that. That it didn't seem as anything he said would influence someone who is feeling less well off economically. Mm-hmm. Uh since this administration took hold uh, and the slogans he hollered didn't, you know, they weren't, they didn't inspire anything. He he perhaps showed a little bit of an ability to reach across the fence with some of his comments towards McCarthy. Yeah. But we'll see how that plays out with this deficit, uh, the debt ceiling fight still coming up. That that'll really be key to that. And uh, so far, Biden has taken a stance of, I'm not going to even negotiate at all, and he Republicans saying, well, you're going to have to. Yeah. So right. We'll see if there's any any bipartisanship in there at all, or if it's just empty words.
1: Right. And he made a lot of claims about economics and his achievements, and he avoided a lot of major problems and skipped over the China balloon thing. And uh, uh, so his content i think was rather deceptive and uh uh uh, dishonest but but his presentation was was consistent for about an hour and 15 20 minutes in that sense but the polls indicate what you're suggesting uh it looks like independents don't want him to run again and a considerable number of democrats don't want him to be the candidate next time or his vice president to be on the ticket so He's got to convince more than Republicans if he's going to run again. And at his age, you just wonder about it. Yeah,
0: obviously. Enough of the State of the Union address. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't even seen the ratings for it. I wonder how many people actually did tune in.
1: Well, I did it out of loyalty to my position on KROC and your program. I figured I was obligated to expose myself to it, (laughs) even though it raised my blood pressure to do so. (laughs) Sarah Huckabee brought the blood pressure down. (laughs) Okay, well.
0: What else do you want to cover in our few minutes left of national news?
1: Well, uh, uh, this from John Hinderaker, uh, Powerline. As President Joe Biden prepares to face off with House Republicans over the U.S. government debt ceilings uh, and uh, uh, a majority of voters, according to Rasmussen, would rather have a government shutdown than to have Congress sign on to more spending. A new Rasmussen report, a television and online survey finds that 56 percent of likely U.S. voters would rather have a government shutdown until Congress can agree to either cut spending or keep it the same. Uh, And uh, uh, most voters think spending is the problem. 66% believe politicians' unwillingness to reduce spending. And that goes along with what you said about costs of uh, of our social programs, Andy. But uh, that they are the blame for the size of the federal government. Uh, And they are more to blame for the problems than taxpayers can be blamed for unwillingness to pay more taxes. So um, people are understanding what's going on and don't like it. I think uh,
0: this bout with inflation has brought people back to economic realities and an understanding of how monetary policy actually works. I think that uh, the masses actually get it.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a direct connection between government spending and inflation. And right. And you mentioned monetary policy and uh, I'll add fiscal policy to that uh, quagmire. Well, Hunter Biden admits that the laptop is is his and he's uh, initiating suits against people who use the information against him as their lawyers are trying to quiet the Republicans and uh, by President Biden's pleading for bipartisanship because he doesn't want the congressional investigations to look at he him or his his son but Republicans say we're not swayed by the tactics of the Biden family their lawyers and we're going to have hearings on this and we're going to get to the bottom of a family uh, influence peddling and they're going to persist in that so that should make for some interesting times and they're ready to subpoena some DOJ and FBI and other figures uh, to go after this issue, including Hunter uh, and uh, and business associates that the Hunter team is trying to shut up and make not testify. But and some say what Hunter told business contacts overseas had the vocabulary of classified documents in it. And of course they were found in Biden's garage and everything, so they're gonna look into that. Um, And meanwhile, New York City teachers are finally getting tired of wokeness. They've had a woke awakening. They're complaining about the hypocrisy of immigrants being allowed to be running around without masks and to get jobs without masks while teachers were laid off for not wearing masks. So some liberal New York City teachers are getting a little bit uh, tired of that hypocrisy and Uh, the political correctness, in fact, that they challenged. Well, going back to the Hunter Biden business, I'm glad you
0: used the term influence peddling when you were talking about this because I've spoken with people who are dismissive of the whole Hunter Biden investigation and the idea that Congress would hold hearings into this and... And I get the inclination, leave the kids out of it part, but number one, he's not a kid. He's been an adult for quite some time. (laughs) But, you know, this isn't necessarily about Biden smoking crack or having prostitutes or whatever shenanigans he was partaking in Is his personal life dissolved for whatever reason. This is about his repeated use of his dad's name And the power that his dad held as an elected official, either as a senator or the vice president or the president of the United States, to make himself and other members of his family and his friends a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking a little bit of money here. We're talking millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And. That needs to be investigated. It's It's gone on too long in the Washington inside the beltway, and this is probably one of the more prominent cases. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we had you know, Billy Carter and his goofiness in the 1970s trying to make deals with the Libyans or whatever it was on an airfield, but it was almost comical compared to what we're talking about here. And this stuff is dealing directly with, number one, the Chinese, number two, the Russians and the Ukrainian connection there. These are very sensitive relationships for this country to try to navigate. And you have a, you know, the son of a president who has quote unquote issues running around the world, cutting
1: deals and dropping
0: his dad's name, presumably in order to cut the deals.
1: That's right. And then you have vice president Biden and president Biden claiming he knew nothing about his son's business deals well, Biden's uh, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop says we give 10 percent to the big guy, meaning Joe. And so what were Joe Biden's ethics uh, as vice president uh, and his son is on Air Force Two with Joe going to the Ukraine, going to China, going to the Middle East, making these deals. And, and the president, former vice president, says he knew nothing about it. Well, if that's disingenuous, that's worthy of uh, some kind of uh, legal action, I think.
0: All right. Enough of you. We have to take another break. (laughs) 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 We'll be back in a moment. Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC-AM and 96.9 FM. Thursday morning, Rochester Today. That means Tom Ostrom is here. What do you want to cover with our last few minutes, Tom?
1: The National Archives, the Department of Justice, the FBI will not release to the Republicans the documents that Republicans are asking for in their investigations. and now we find out the University of Delaware, which houses Biden's uh, treasure trove of uh, documents and personal information, will not release to the press or the Republicans their, their, their files that they're housing for Biden. Uh, they're arguing and these are private. These are private. But Republicans have found out that the Chinese communists contributed millions of dollars to the University of Delaware, the uh, alma mater of, of uh, President Biden, and their housing and holding his documents, his presidents uh, deliver them uh, to their future libraries and whatever. And uh, the and the Chinese have contributed millions of dollars uh just like the Clinton Foundation took money from foreign sources, so did the University of Delaware, and they won't even comment on that.
0: I bet they won't. <laughs> I, I imagine uh, if I was an attorney for the University of Delaware, I would advise them exactly the same thing.
1: Yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah, right. And then uh, Eric Revel, Fox Business. As a complex article that I'll have to study more, but Russian oligarchs are investing in U.S. commercial real estate. Uh, some na- some states are trying to stop the Chinese from buying up land, and here we find out, according to this reporter, Russian oligarchs are investing in U.S. commercial real estate. They're bypassing the sanctions that the U.S. levied on on Putin and on the Russians. And the, the feds and the FBI are warning banks to track this and stop this. But the oligarchs know more about capitalism than most of us do. And they're evading the rules by uh, subsidiary investors and front group investors. And we find out they're getting away with uh, land purchases, too, <laughs> in the United States. Yeah, shell corporations.
0: There. I that's what. I don't know if i ever told you that. I talked to a person who worked for somebody, I, I'm not going to name the company, but they were contracted by the IRS to try to come up with an analytical tool for the IRS because the people evading taxes or these oligarchs, that they the way they operate using these sophisticated shell corporations and subsidiaries, it's become a Herculean task to try to follow Mm -hmm. this and break apart the puzzle and figure out who's actually behind it. But the hope was that they could come up with some sort of software and algorithm that would look at patterns that would make it easier to spot when these shell corporations are being used for illicit purposes for the, you know, for to hunt down tax evaders. Mm -hmm. And you wonder if it could apply to fighting... Uh, against these guys trying to get around the sanctions as well. But I, as far as I know, that, that process never panned out. And and once again, it's easy to audit a guy in Missouri and find out whether or not he uh, didn't pay all his taxes, but it's almost impossible to get the big fish.
1: Oh, sure. You, you use the proper terms. It involves shell companies, it involves trusts, uh, Russian elites and uh, real estate developers that are... Uh, Uh, fooled by their contacts and unwittingly are drawn into these things and third parties like relatives friends business associates uh they're utilized by these sanctioned russian elites and 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 have their proxies but how sophisticated they are and again we mentioned china is so sophisticated at cracking into our infrastructure well it seems the russian oligarchs are too
0: (laughs) well tom we we're actually out of time, so <laughs> sorry to cut you off again. <laughs> but we'll talk to you next week on Tuesday. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. All right, Tom Ostrom, it's Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell on News talk, 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.